Hey guys, welcome back to the Woodworking Podcast. My name is Nick, and I can be found at nickferry.com. Joined with my co-host, Bob Close. Bob can be found at bobclose.com. I thought, I thought it was closestcustomwoodwork.com. Well, that's on Facebook. Oh. Close Custom Woodwork is on Facebook. Close Custom Furniture is my business. bobclose.com is my website. Well, there you go. All right, so bobclose.com. <laughs> <laughs> We're really just kind of winging it here. Um been a little bit since we did a podcast last and mostly i think that's because of summer summer always gets busy yep and uh, all that good stuff but uh for those watching on the youtube channel i'm just gonna read this question and then i'm gonna get my laptop out of the way i'm more of a pen and paper kind of guy but the questions come in through our website if you have a question or a topic that you want to bring up for the podcast go to the woodworkingpodcast.com and in the contact us section there's a little form you can fill out and um, so anyways, the question here from Steven Weber is, how can I get wood to stop warping in the hot and dry Phoenix climate? And uh, we'll get to that one in a second. Just let me get my laptop out of the way. <clears throat> and uh, before I do that, I'll thank everyone over on Patreon for supporting the podcast. Go to patreon.com forward slash the woodworking podcast, and you can help out and put a little bit of beer money in our pockets. Thank or you. for you, whiskey. Bourbon. Bourbon, that's right. Oh, I was Bourbon. so close. That's okay. Um, but anyways, so thank you guys much over there. You want to jump right into that question? Because I, I have a feeling sure. this question could go 20 to 40 minutes. It could real easy. Um, drying wood is always an experience. I've been doing it for a long time. And one of the, the first things you want to do... and. It, this is up here in Wisconsin, but you want to make sure when you, after you saw the wood, you either want to end coat the ends before you saw the log or after you saw it, and use anchor seal. A lot of guys will try roofing tar, they'll try latex paint, they'll try oil-based paint. Anchor seal is by far the best way to go. It's an emulsified wax. Um, and it just seals better and it still allows the air to get through and it allows it to dry, but it'll prevent the cracking. Um, another trick that works really well is when you sticker it to air dry, get the stickers as far out on the ends as you possibly can. Believe it or not, it does stop the checking some. Well, I suppose the weight, I mean, there is weight well, on there and friction kind of keeping. Yeah, but I guess what it is, from Dr. Wengert is kind of the, the wood guy. Um, he talked about Getting them as close to the ends as you can, that it helps prevent end checking. And for it does. For whatever reason, I'm not a scientist. I don't understand it. But if you move the stickers in six inches, you'll have checks for six inches. If you move them out to like an inch of the end, you'll have checks for an inch. Yeah, and, and just, you're saying the, the outermost stickers. Right, the outermost obviously stickers. Obviously, you don't, you're not going to have an eight-foot-long board with no, no stickers. In right, the exactly. And I put my stickers... Um, you want to, first of all, you want to have a nice flat level bed where you start up off the ground, six or eight inches. Um, you can use blocks, cement blocks. You can use steel, whatever you got. Get it up off the ground at least six or eight inches, 12 inches. It does, the higher the better. I like to put, place my stickers every, oops, 12 to 18 inches. Um, I tend to put more stickers than less. If I'm doing an eight foot board, I'll use seven stickers. Um, it's all about having your pile level because that's going to do a lot 
to how your wood dries, if it dries level and flat or if it warps and twists. A lot of it can be traced back to what your pile started with. Um, in the desert, the biggest thing I can tell you for drying other than sticker placement is make sure you dry it out of the sun. Yeah. Any type of wood that you get, you want to get on stickers and out of the sun, whether it's under a roof, in a building. Um, in a building, you want lots of airflow, just like you would being outside. The more airflow, the better the stuff dries. White oak is a different bird altogether that you have to be careful not to dry too fast or you get all little surface checks. Yep. Um, Which actually can be pretty in a finish, especially if you fill a, you know, do a gloss coat with epoxy and then sand it smooth. I think it looks like crap, but that's really? okay. Uh, <laughs> a gentleman yesterday I saw was uh, putting like a royal blue epoxy in those surface checks. Okay. And it just was a real nice contrast. And it was... I see, yeah. contrast, that's another whole discussion. Contrast is nice if you like contrast. Yeah. Uh, and epoxy is nice. I think there's way too much of it used nowadays on projects. but Like river tables? Oh, and river tables <laughs> and everything and their brother that's got epoxy poured in it. We're, we're definitely kind of going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I, I think that's kind of the fun thing here. But I saw one the other day to where it was the, the opposite, I guess, like an inside-out river table to where the wood was on the inside and it was fully encased. In the epoxy? How, all I could think of was... That, that wood is going to want, I know it's encased, but it's, I just. It's it, going to move. Yeah, I would imagine. It's going to move. You know, you can put 25 coats of lacquer on something, it's still going to move. I mean, on a piece of wood, it's still going to move. It slows down the, the movement, but it still moves. That's just yeah. wood. And this that, was a big, this was like 16 inches wide. So I would there, love I to think, see some of this stuff. Countertops. I've seen people that put in these beautiful countertops. They're all wood. I'd love to see them in a year and see what they look like. Yeah. Because I just don't think they're going to, they'll hold up, but they're going to look like you used them for a year. You know, they're just going to get beat up, dinged up, dented up. Yeah. Um, getting back to the drying wood in the desert, I don't want to leave the poor guy out there. Get it out of the sun, get it stacked and stickered, get a lot of airflow on it. Um, and what about, I mean, because I know a lot of times you band yours, or you at least weight on the top. Weight on the top is big. Um Again, there's there's schools of thought that weight doesn't do anything. It depends on the tree. If you cut a gnarly, ugly tree, which I do a lot of times with bird's eye, you're going to get wood that moves and twists and warps because that's the nature of the tree. Yeah. Um, if you cut a nice ash or oak or maple that's nice, even, straight grain, that just lays there like a dead body and, and doesn't move a lot. Um, I don't know what kind of woods you have in the desert. I know there's desert ironwood, and uh, your buddy, Ty, Ty has he cuts eucalyptus, which I always thought was in Australia, but must be like some hybrid they bring up. I don't know, but um, he cuts a lot of eucalyptus in the slabs. And I did ask him a question the other day about he was drying some stuff. He had it against a wall and in the shade, and he said. Out in the desert, it's important to have it in the shade and out of a, as much direct sun as you can because it dries. It's so dry. Yeah. Um, you know, if you take a wood and dry it too fast, even air drying it too fast, you can run into issues with like case hardening. Like case hardening. Yeah, it's <clears throat> not going to be as severe as doing it in a kiln, but you're still going to get it where it's honeycombed and cracked, and you know, it just 
basically worthless. Yeah. So. Let's pause there. I gotta let the dogs out. Yeah, I, I heard them barking. Go, go ahead. Not, not a single thing can go right. I tell you. <laughs> so we were on the topic of drying too quick. Yeah. And and I'm glad I'm glad that we were able to bring this question up because you know a lot about kilns. You know a lot about drying. I mean, I've read Gene Wengert's. Um, I, it, it wasn't his doctoral dissertation, but no. it, it was. It was a couple, I want to say close to 100 pages of commercial drying, big kiln drying, solar yep. kiln drying, everything. Um, maybe if, if I can find a copy of it, a, a legitimate, not bootleg one, maybe I'll leave a link um, for it. But Dr. Gene Winger, yeah, he pretty much wrote, because he did write the book on, on um, kiln drying wood. And kiln drying wood, anything to do with woodworking a lot. Uh, he did a lot of industrial stuff. Yep. His big thing was, you know, you cut everything into two-inch wide pieces and alternate the grain and glue it together. And, you know, that was all Dr. Gene. But another thing, he does a lot of yield for commercial yep. kiln drying. Yep. Well, yeah. yield for factory, yeah, period. Yeah. Furniture yeah. manufacturing. That way, the more yield, the better the margins yep. and all that yep. stuff. But, so anyway, but you know a lot more about it because I know our other friend, Bob, has been trying to talk you into buying a vacuum kiln. I've been trying to talk him into one. Oh, for, yeah, yeah, vice versa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, that's what happens when there's two people in this world named Bob. That's, oh, yeah. There's a whole <laughs> lot more of us, too. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I've, I've been taking loads to a vacuum kiln on the far west side of the state. And uh, I just can't, I can't tell you how wonderful it is. Um, I took three and four inch thick bird's eye over there the first load because that's always taken me four and five years to dry. Yep. Six days. Wow. From four inch thick. Four inch, three and four inch thick bird's Six eye days. maple. Six days from what? green to, to 8% moisture. To eight. To 8% moisture. No cracking, no checking, no case hardening. I mean, the stuff came out dead flat, came out bright white. Um, unbelievable. It's an expensive machine. You know, you're looking at probably $200,000 for a 3,000-foot kiln to, to get it up and going. Weren't you saying that there was a university out of New Zealand that was trying to get rid of one? They did, yeah, that's gone. Oh. I looked at that for a long time. I should have bought it, but I was dumb. Yeah. Uh, but I bet your wife was happy, though. Well, yeah. You know, at my age, I don't want to go into debt, so it's like... <clears throat> no, that makes sense. That it just If I was 10 years younger, I would get one. Um, I think that the market is there for it, especially with all the specialty stuff that's out there nowadays, the thick wood slabs and the, a lot of these urban trees that they're cutting that's just gnarly wood that if you try to dry it in a conventional kiln, it's just going to warp and twist and crack and break. Um, the, the, the one I've been looking at the most was made, it's, it's made in Pennsylvania by a company called PCS. Vacuum Kiln Technologies, I think. Um, the owner's a wonderful guy. Uh, he's answered every question I've ever posed to him, and he speaks in terms that I can understand, which is nice. <laughs> um, but he's kind of the, the originator in this country of vacuum kiln technology, and uh, the whole story behind it's interesting. They basically started out 40 years ago with a giant microwave. And... An interesting thing of that is that's what the Chinese have nowadays for vacuum technology is a microwave. Hmm. Um, 
I wouldn't buy one, but people have, and good for them. Um, the the vacuum kilns are great for thick stock, odd stock. Uh, they've made kilns, that, and the reason he's done kilns, he's done kilns all over the world. The biggest thing for them is drying species that have never been dried before because they're just too hard. That's why they have a lot of them in New Zealand and Australia yep. and, and Asia and all that. Um, he was telling me about a a beech species down in Australia that nobody could ever successfully dry. And I don't recall if it's a red beech or a blue beech or whatever, but they can dry it without any defect. And they can dry it in a very, very short time. And that's the sort of thing that drives this whole technology aspect yeah. of it. Stuff um, that people haven't been able to do, do. before. Uh, he did a burl, he does, they can do burls in these things, big burls. Um, there was a fella that bought his kiln and he dried these big, some imported species of burl and he makes $30,000 rocking chairs. Hmm. Um, they're absolutely gorgeous and there's no defect. You know, it, it's stuff like that that drives that whole end of the business. But vacuum technology is definitely the way to go for thick material. If you've got one, there aren't a lot of them in the U.S., but if you've got one within 500 miles and you've got something really good to dry, you should really get it done there. There you go. Uh, good good information. Let's let's back up and I guess maybe kind of bulletize the points here. And, and I also, in case the question was more, um, maybe it was dry wood already, maybe he wasn't trying to actually dry wood, but um, so the bullet points for dry Arizona Slow the drying. Slow the drying. Well, we should shape. start with the second it's cut. Right, it should seal be, it. Seal it. And it should be sealed. Um, get it on a level platform. Use good stickers that are kiln-dried stickers. You don't want to use wet stickers between wet wood. You get stain. Yeah. Um, you don't want to use, excuse me, oak stickers on maple okay. because you'll get stain. Uh, you try to use the species that's close to what you're drying. And you want to make sure that they're dried stickers because yep. that can induce all kinds of problems. And if you've ever had a beautiful board and had sticker stain that runs in it, it looks like you're in jail with bars in the windows. It's just, it's not pretty. Yeah. Um, get it out of the sun, get lots of airflow. And if you have material that you bought that, say you bought from me and you're in Arizona, I would say when you get it, Sticker it for a while in your shop and let it acclimate. Because how long you think for say Arizona? Because well, you know, I'm I'm guessing in Arizona guys would have air conditioned shops. I don't know. I, not not everyone. Not everyone. No, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, obviously we can't. You know, we didn't survey all of Arizona, <laughs> but no. But um, like even yeah, uh, yeah. I have a few friends out in that area. And some do, some don't. Well, it's yeah, just... that your friend has, he's got his shop out in the summer, right, outside. Didn't he have a tent put up and then he was working outside? I'm trying to think of who that was. The mono local guy. Oh, Ty Moser. Yeah, yep. Uh, well, yeah, he, do, he does all sorts of stuff. He's been doing a lot of urban milling and, yeah, and all sorts. Yeah, he does, yep. Um, <clears throat> but I was thinking about my friend uh, Sean Rubino. Okay. Um, and he just got air conditioning, um, I think it was last summer. Okay. And I don't even have the air running here today. I, I got more project. I got to finish that potting bench out back, which I forgot to show you before we started this, so you could then say how gorgeous it was. It's gorgeous. 
I've seen it on my there phone. There goes your credibility. Yeah, well. <laughs> Four, 40 years of credibility. Yeah. Shot down the, the window. <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, if you're going to buy wood from someplace and ship it to Arizona, I would sticker it for probably a, a few days at least. Uh, probably a few weeks is better. And would you say putting some weight, some cinder blocks, some something on top? Well, it depends what is you're buying. You know, effort. a lot of what I ship out for bundles of wood is just three, three and four foot pieces. So, you know, you aren't going to need blocks on top of that, um, but you do want the air flowing to get it acclimated to the area that you're in. You know, Arizona's a lot drier than we are. I mean, it's hot here, but it's really humid. Yeah. Um, judging by Nick's shirt, you can tell. <laughs> so, um, and one, one thing too, I always found interesting years ago, um, we have basements in this the part of the country, and once in a while you get a flooded basement. Some, okay. some pump goes out or whatever. But one thing that I always thought was just neat, when, when somebody does get a flooded basement, a company has to come in and clean it up, think about air flow and movement oftentimes more than the actual moisture content, humidity, barometric pressure in the air. Because they'll have one commercial dehumidifier in the basement, but then they'll have like 10 fans. Yep. And so if the air is not moving, you can't dry it. And that's another thing with even some of these solar kilns. You, you got to have air movement. movement. You know, yeah, it could be a stagnant, you know, 120 degrees in there. But that's just it. I, I knew a guy that had, I've got a solar kiln, and I knew another guy that had a solar kiln. I have fans in mine. He never had fans in his. And he'd always say, well, my stuff is kiln dried. And you'd go get it, and you could measure the moisture, and it'd always be like 12 or 14%. It wasn't yeah. kiln dried. You can get it 150 or 180 degrees in there. But it's not going to dry because it stays ambient air, yeah. you know, moisture. So um, I always get a kick out of guys that say they can air dry wood down to 6%. I, you can stick it in your garage and you can put fans on it. And, yeah, you might be able to get it down there. I've never been able to get it below 10. So to me, you have to get it below 8. To, to 10% will work for a lot of things if you build right. But... If you're going to do casework or something, eight or seven is much better. It just is. Yeah, especially even like breadboard ends, stuff yep. like that. Toward, yep. I mean, either way, you have to allow for the movement. Right. Um, Always. You know, <clears throat> but you're going to see less differentiation it's seasonal. Yep. If you have like, like say a 24-inch top and it was 10%, you're going to see that swing to where there's going to be a gap in that breadboard that, that could be almost up to a quarter inch. Yep, easy. But versus if it's, say, 7% moisture content, you could probably get that down to 16, maybe just an eighth of an inch. And it all 16. depends if you use wide boards or narrow boards. Yep. You know, I tend to like wide <coughs> boards. So I, I've done a lot of breadboard ends over the years. They look nice for a while, but they're always going to have a variation spring and fall, you know, either sticking past the ends or, or being inset from the ends because it's just the wood always moves. Yeah, so. and, and I'm fine with that. And I, I consider myself halfway particular about things, but maybe it's because of the woodworking end of things where I know that it moves. And it, right. to, I'd almost rather see that movement than not see it with a, a stickered MDF core. Yes, I agree. <laughs> you know, I agree. The funny thing is my sister-in-law, and I've posted this once or twice on Instagram, but my sister-in-law has... One of those, um, I don't know who makes it. I mean, I know Ashley's one of the big furniture manufacturers. But the biggest. Yeah. yeah one, 
it has Dutchman bow ties in mm-hmm. it, and the grain. Obviously, it's hundred percent for looks, and the grain's going in the wrong direction. <laughs> and yeah. So once in a while, I'm sitting at our table, and I just take a picture because it makes me chuckle. You would think that the engineers or the furniture designers or whomever could at least get that right. Um, if, I mean, if you want to imitate something that was meant to be structurally a repair, right? You figure you'd get right. the grain direction right. You would think so. That. Shows maybe they're cutting corners on their design people. I don't know. I don't know. I it was won't even it go made, there. It made me laugh. Uh, yeah, I, it's funny. You see things going into a pottery barn. Thankfully, I've never done that. But um, <laughs> I've had people send me pictures of things where they want built that looks like something in pottery barn, and it's it's interesting when you go on the website and you look at some of the stuff and. It, just what you said. You'll have things with grain going in the wrong direction and, and things that you can look at and know if you built it that way out of solid wood, it just would fall apart or break or yeah. crack or whatever. You know, it's just not right. This is literally, we, we, we can get on and off topic, and I'm really good at that. But it, hey, it's, it flows. Uh, I, I fixed a cabinet door for a gal the other day where her son went to pull the, the doorknob and the whole style just popped right off wow and i i guess some gentleman made it years ago it looked like it was almost a little bit factory made but finish before the rails and styles were glued on on the um the coping stick joint and the the glue couldn't penetrate into it was it was solid wood but the glue couldn't penetrate and so and that's what i told her i said that's really odd i don't think i've ever seen that in my life but I mean, I can, I've, I've pre-finished panels mm-hmm. to make sure that you get underneath. Because as we were talking with seasonal movement, if you right. ever see, like, say, like a six-panel colonial door or something, in the wintertime, all of a sudden, you, you have around that. a perimeter of bare wood. And you're like, yep. that wasn't like that before. Well, the panel shrunk. Right. And they didn't pre-finish nope. it to get underneath. Correct. But. <clears throat> um, yeah, that's not a sign of good construction if they finished it before they glued it um it was interesting yeah yeah, i'm sure uh i've had people that have come back to me with a piece that their child broke because they swung on it like tarzan you know and it's a little pine door on a cabinet with two little hinges and they decided they wanted to swing across the living room so i had to uh, fix a door for a gal the other day to where they ordered um, a left-hand swing and then a right-hand swing arrived or whatever. And I basically okay. just mortised the other side. It was going in a closet that was behind another door in a bathroom. Okay. So they were never, you know, they didn't want to reorder the door. But uh, what what kind of amazed me was this was a six-panel, solid oak door. And they left, the installers left the what I call shipping screws, I always replace the center screw on both the door and the jam so that it goes into the stud. Right. Because right, solid, yeah, long yeah. screw, yep. You know, and I, yeah, you got to search out, you know, if, if, you know, it becomes a little bit, I mean, that's why they call it work. I mean, it's right. not, it's not easy, but if you mean brass or satin nickel or any of that stuff, so you have to have a screw that matches, but I, I can't believe the the screws three quarter inch. Yep. So that's three, six, nine, nine on one side, nine on the other, 18, three quarter inch screws. I've seen those doors pretty much just pop off. Yep. So. Yep. Well, and it's interesting. Well, that's a whole nother thing too. The, the door construction nowadays, 
there's guys that make really good doors that I know, you know, but they're one-off doors that guys take their time. They'll, um, everything is the woods chosen. It's all quarter sawn. It makes the whole core of the door and then they'll, you know, overlay it with thick veneer that they slice themselves. And a door like that versus a door from a large yeah. Home Depot place, there's just no comparison. Yeah. But you're looking at thousands of dollars versus 129 bucks. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like hollow core doors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Luan with some cardboard between yep, it. exactly, and that's all it is. Yeah. You know, and a little wood strip on either side for the, the door handle to fit in and the hinges to screw in. Yeah, and in case I didn't clarify for people listening, uh, a hollow core door and things of that nature, I mean, we're talking probably less than 20 pounds. Oh, yeah, easy, um, easy. And... So if we'll we'll imagine in both scenarios that it's three hinges per door. If there are three quarter inch screws going into the jam, going into the door on a hollow core door, I I haven't really ever seen any issues with that. But when people start retrofitting or uh, installing hardcore, <clears throat> sorry, hardcore, these are hardcore <laughs> doors, um, solid core doors, you want to replace one screw that goes into the center, you know. One the screw, center hole of the hinge. The center hole of the, yeah. So it's, I'm trying to, you know, do it with my fingers here. And I'm like, oh, not everyone watches the YouTube end of it. But two-inch screw in the center of each of the hinges that each goes into the jam and, and the into door. The, into the frame. And yeah. at least the top and bottom hinge. Might as well do the middle one while you're in there. Yep. But uh, that way, because, yeah, you see people all sorts of towels and towel racks and all sorts of things getting hung on this. And... Now you're adding what was less than a 20-pound door. Now you're at probably close to 70, 80 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, it's very true. Just that's a whole subject we could cover for a long time. Because the first time I ever came across that, it was uh, a new, newer construction, less than a year old, spec home. The company that built it went out of business. It was a one-year warranty, but it was, wasn't even a year. And lady called me up and said, hey, can you take a peek at this? And that's what it was. The door literally fell just from normal use. And I said, that's because they didn't replace the screws. Yeah. yeah. Those three-quarter screws are just going to pull right out on those. Yep. Yep. But. Institutional doors are fun, too. That's a whole different. Oh, yeah. I used to work on those. And, I mean, you have a 10-foot door that weighs 1,500 pounds. And it's on pivot hinges, top and bottom. Yep. And, yeah, it's you get that, to, you have to move it in and out and it's not well, fun speaking of large doors I, uh, I i posted this on instagram probably less than a year ago and I, and I thought it would get a lot more attention people would find it more interesting maybe i didn't photograph it right but theater doors mm -hmm. and these are close to 20 feet tall okay and about 10 feet wide and they're double doors and you want to talk i mean it's a piano hinge a robust industrial yep. but those doors have to be close to 800 to maybe 1500 pounds wow. a yep. piece yep and it's to get large set pieces in and out and scenery changes and stuff those doors always amaze me because I mean, obviously big door and everything but it's got a tiny little normal size handle and i can just grab it open it and you, you don't realize how well and how well they're installed i would love to see guys installing these things the hinges and everything but how plumb and everything it has to be to where it almost feels as effortless as opening a hollow core door and here i'm just opening this 1200 pound or more door yeah it's just crazy 
It is. It is. I remember replacing the pivots on doors, and you'd have to take the door off, and which was no easy task inside a building, and then move that out of the way, and then take the the pivots were all set in concrete. Okay. So you had to make sure that whatever replacement unit you had fit in that hole. Otherwise, you were having hmm. to chip out concrete and make it fit and get it level and yeah. it was a pain in the butt yeah i'd imagine any anytime co- concrete's involved my my train of thought you, you can almost like see me getting derailed and i heard that concrete or cement prices have gone through the roof i've heard that too because speaking of 150 Ty, bucks a yard is what i heard last ty moser was he was lo- looking at building a new shop and and talking about his pool and i could have swore he said between last year's quote for an in-ground pool and this year's was $5,000 more, I just based on the cement variation price. I was going to have a cement slab poured last year that never got poured, but um, it's because a contractor never showed up. But uh, <laughs> the price they gave me last year was, I thought, was dirt cheap, and then what I heard concrete going for this year, it's like doubled. I mean, it's just, it just unbelievable. It, it's it's almost like with with home renovation, you almost have to consider it like a commodities trading it market. Is. It, well, glass is, yeah, yeah. I'm, well, I mean, because I wanted a, a, a slab poured on the side of my garage for various things, and yeah, last year I was, I bet you any money, it'd probably be close to double this year. Yeah, I bet it would. That, and that's only come in my favor once when my old shop, I, I did all the wiring myself, and this was a commercial. I think it was almost three thousand square feet. And ran all the wire myself, and I had, I don't know, five or ten spools of individual strand copper wire. And those spools sat around for like ten years in the back of a cabinet. And until a buddy of mine who's an electrician saw them and said, oh, what are you doing with these? And I saw they've just been kicking around for about ten years. He goes, what do you want for them? I ended up selling them to him, used for triple what I paid for them, because copper went up that much over ten years. Jeez, I've got some of that sitting around. Yeah. I mean, you, you can see Romex is hanging on my... Yep, yep. Hmm. But yeah, that's one of those things. That's the only time I ever come ahead on that. Maybe, maybe I'll uh, hold on to my aluminum cans and I'll get I'll get a big, you know... There you go. There you go. That'll be fun. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my, oh, my. Yeah. Crazy so, stuff. Yep. So about your bench, your potting bench. Yeah. It's made out of white cedar? Eh, white and red. Oh. Uh, the, I got it from Menards, and I'm not necessarily sure that they're 100%. Uh, it looked like white cedar. That's quite, why was there's asking. a couple pieces in there that are definitely red cedar. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. And, and that's and the, kind of the bummer, because at one point, I got to cut these narrow slats that are three-quarter inch square. And the, my I picked, I set aside pieces that were clear. And because I knew if I was ripping those, if I got a knot in the middle of a three, it's just going to break in half. Right. Well, it just so happens, and I'll show you later, but those those clear pieces, I think, are red cedar. Oh, interesting. Must be western red cedar. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, th- so there's a little bit of a juxtaposition with the pieces of, but I think I kind of got it all figured out. Stacy saw it for the first time yesterday, complete, and she's absolutely thrilled with it. Well, that's so good. That's all I can ask for because. Uh, for those listening that uh, didn't know, I built a raised potting or raised planting bed 
for my wife. Right. She wanted to get into like tomatoes and pepper plants and all this stuff. I just built it out of pine, slapped it together. I did it on an Instagram stories kind of thing. And it literally took me less than an hour to make this thing. And she took to it in a hurry. She was going out there every day and checking them and making sure the mulch and, you know, things in. Nice. Yeah. So I'm like, that's awesome. Well, then she wanted like a potting bench to kind of put some of her stuff in her watering can. And so that was, that was the project du jour was a a potting bench to where, you know, there's a little graded area. I'll have a, a video out on my YouTube channel probably within a, about a week. I, I always I hate to say dates because then I don't I don't even know when I'm going to release this podcast. Yeah, so I'm still but waiting for Valentine's box. So. Yeah, <laughs> part one of that's out. You just rewatch that. <laughs> <laughs> I I that is legitimate. I'm not I'm not good for the whole YouTube game when it comes to that. I'm more of a woodworker than I ever was a YouTuber. <laughs> I it's okay. You do good at both, so it's not a problem. Um, but yeah, no, that potting bench came up, and, that, and that's actually going to start kind of a, a, a long, I don't want to give too much information away, but um, I used a, um, a water-based outdoor varnish on that, and it's a very interesting product, and I want to kind of test it out, and I want to see what this potting bench looks like in a year. I'll be curious to see, because I like yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how it holds up. Um, I already kind of know... Because I was trying to finish the bench yesterday, and it just down, started downpouring. And I did note, and I took a little short video of it, I did note that in some of the checks and some of the knots, the finish didn't penetrate, didn't bridge the gap. So you could see water had gotten into some of the knots where the little checks are. Right. And Well, it's not going to span. I mean, I... No, no, but... But I, I figured I, I laid it on pretty thick. I thought right. it would have at least absorbed. But it still goes But, down. but you, you, could, you could see. So that'll be interesting as well. And, and that's kind of neat that there are some clear boards on there. It's completely not free because those I sealed real good. Um, and you did all the sides and ends and undersides. Yep, all six sides to every single yep. piece before I assembled it. And one thing, I did five coats on the end grain of the feet. That's something something yep. worth noting. Yep. Um, if you want to go overkill, certain companies make penetrating epoxies, or you can use a regular epoxy and tight coat the body. Three. What's that? Tight bond three. Works. Or yeah, or tight bond three, and yep. you can even water it down a hair to try and get it to absorb a little bit deeper. Yep. But if you're having end grain, whether it's cedar pressure treated, bare wood, pine, what whatever it is, end grain sitting in the dirt, sitting in the soil. It's just going to act as a sponge, and that's where yeah. your, your first rot's going to come from. So I paid close attention to getting four or five coats, uh, heavy, heavy coats, on the end grain. And I might even, with that bench, that bench turned out so pretty. I might end up putting that up on, like, little patio blocks or something so that... Good idea. You know. Yep. But the little raised planting bed is bare pine end grain sitting in the dirt. I... Like I said, I built it in an hour. Right. Shopped for the materials in 20 minutes. Built it in my head. Came back. and so. But she's already wanting another one for next year. So that I'll make a video on. And I'll make that one out of cedar. And I'll seal the, egg, the legs up real nice. And I think I'm going to switch to 4x4s. Okay. Figured, we, we figured volumetrically wise there was six or 700 pounds of dirt I in that. It. Uh, it doesn't really wiggle or anything like that. But the bottom isn't necessarily the most robust in the world and so if i if i do another one and i know she's going to be into it and it's not going to you know kind of 
it's it's not going to turn into a Nick Valentine's Day box. Right, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So that'll be that'll be next spring's project. Okay. But yeah. Good. What do you what do you got working on? You just bought a couple shipping containers. I bought three shipping containers. Two of them are full. Um, one with bird's eye and one with curl. The third one. We'll probably get the overrun of the bird's eye and the curl. I've been getting a lot of lumber in. It's Springtime is always a busy time for me getting lumber down from the mills because they'll have cut all winter. Mm-hmm. And with the figured stuff, that's when I get the bulk of it. So, And I also started working with a mill out of Pennsylvania for curly cherry and walnut. And yeah, that's the stuff that I help you ship out. Yep. Yeah. Um, the, that was some big stuff. That's some very big stuff. The walnut that's sitting there air drying right now will be going to the vacuum kiln. Uh, just some beautiful, best walnut I have ever seen. Really? Um, it's all veneer grade logs. These are not typical walnut logs. These are all high-end veneer logs. So the material that comes out is big, wide, and clear, and he cuts off probably 98% of the sap. So you wind up with just dark heart walnut that'll be nice it'll be very nice and speaking of walnut i gotta get bob our friend bob who's got the yes. sawmill yes he still has a walnut three yeah. walnut logs from a walnut tree that i yep cut down last summer i think it was like and, and that's got to be a video because it made me think yep. when you were talking about gorgeous walnut my wife wants a, a kitchen table out of that walnut that'll tree. be nice that'll be nice yeah. that should make a nice table yeah um, that'd be a nice video. Bob yeah. would like that. Oh yeah, and, and he already said that I could do a video at his at his yep. mill and stuff, and cutting it up and trucking it around, and he's got his kiln and yep, he'll dry it. That'll make you. some interesting footage. Kiln's not real interesting. No, it's just that's, a big fan running. I didn't lay the sarcasm okay. on thick enough. Be like, <laughs> here's this eight hour video is of a vacuum kiln. Yeah, it's drying drying wood. Yeah, <clears throat> time lapse of paint drying. And I'm finishing up a pair of dressers, which are, turned out pretty nice. I'm happy. I hopefully will get more done today. Cool. And I've got. I know you've been posting that on Instagram. So yep. if anyone's curious what those look like, check out Bob Close four five six. On yep on, on Instagram. On the Instagrams. So anything else? No, I think I think we went. We had to start and stop a couple times, so I don't know what necessarily how much time it went through or whatever, but um, yeah, I think we did okay. Awesome. Again, uh, thank you to all the patrons over on patreon.com forward slash the woodworking podcast. And as well as thanks for the question today. I, I think that we we beat that one to death. Yeah, I think so. So if you go to the woodworkingpodcast.com um, in the contact us, there's a form. If you got a question, comment, topic, idea. Let be, us know. Yeah, I'd be happy to discuss it. Bob's big into figured woods and drying and... Wood distribution and finish. Wood period, yep. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be good stuff. Cool. Good. Well, until we uh, see you guys next time, you guys, take her easy. Yep. <laughs>